Well, hey, Brando, welcome back to uh, the Great Dive Podcast. <laughs> you don't have to welcome me. I'm here. You and I, we are the Great Dive Podcast. I'm welcoming you back to the people. Oh, well, it's great the to people, be. The people, he's here. He's here. The Great Dive Podcast runs through my veins. It's, uh, it's just part of me. It's in my DNA. Check your ear pods, everybody. <laughs> Brando <laughs> is in the house. How's your week, James? And weekend. Well, you know, we did that little uh, episode last week about the regulator misfiring, and, and I spent my whole weekend in a regulator repair update seminar. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you did one in which you could it's have like, and should have probably been teaching. It's like, <laughs> right, right. The, it's like the fates were aligning to to ruin my weekend. Ah, uh, maybe it was your subconscious. That's why you chose the regulator misfiring is because you knew you were going to spend the weekend going through how to repair a regulator, which is probably really not meant for you. Although I guess were there updates that you were like, "Wow, oh this is new." Well, there was a, a couple of new models that are in the in the line that do they let me ask you this because we won't mention the brand or anything but let me ask you this were there any like cool gimmicks that we should be aware of is there one is there a, a val a, a seat made of some new technological material that's space age or better yet is the regulator ai yet they breathe for you now <laughs> you don't need to breathe they're well, hoseless why they're, even be we alive we were working on we were <laughs> we can just we were working AI on the new hoseless <laughs> We do the new hoseless regulators. They're great. <laughs> it's the regulatorless regulators they're going to be coming out with. They'll uh, they'll do the dive for you. You just sit on the boat. Pretty soon, you won't even have to leave the dock. You, you don't even have to go in the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You could just Netflix your dive, <laughs> and then get on the internet and uh, start yapping about it. But as you know, as Time grows. They got to keep coming up with something to, to sell the new people. Like it's, that takes us into an even bigger philosophical question. Does time really grow? Does it move at all? Or is it just there? I mean, there are some I theories tell you what that is growing. your annoyance with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's growing, growing thin. Your hairline. Your hair. No, your hair is looking pretty good today, James. Hey, thank you. My uh... speaking of hair, this is your segue. This is your. I'm trying to throw you a softball. Well, listen, you know, you got to look out for your buddies. I, I appreciate you looking out for me and my and my hairline. You know, because summer is coming up, and a lot of these, <laughs> a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys we dive with are our uh, dive buddies. Dude, we gotta. We need to sit down and have a serious conversation with them to make sure that they are ready to unveil their summertime beach bods, if you know what I mean. Hey, I got to be completely transparent here. I'm I'm not looking out for you. I'm hoping you start losing your hair, so I'm not jealous of you every day. <laughs> I have to look at that that uh, flowing those flowing locks every day, and uh... there's more hair on the man's body than just on his head, Brando. <laughs> our friends over at Manscaped. Are here to ensure that you and all of our dive buddies' bodies are ready for the wild with their game-changing grooming and hygiene products. Don't let your dive buddies be the guys at the beach with that Austin Powers-looking chest hair 
And, uh, you know, if, if, if your favorite dive buddy's got a little bit of a winter dad bod, at least you can make sure that he is, uh, you know, smelling nice and is well-groomed. It's time to get your dive buddies ready for hot boy summer, everybody, by going over to manscaped.com and getting 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP. Come on, we got these new, the, the new, the new kids coming through the dive circles. You know, uh, you know the, the young guys. We got to teach them right. It's not just good trim and and buoyancy control and uh, good propulsion techniques. You also got to look good getting in and out of that dry suit. Hey, everybody, get your dive buddy, whether it's a man or a woman, guy or gal, of the perfect package <laughs> 4.0 kit. A little bit of lawnmower, waterproof, cordless body trimming, some weed whackering, some crop preservers. Don't forget you get that uh, little uh, travel shed uh, travel bag if you order that whole package. Right, Brando? That's a nice travel bag, too. I love mine. You can get yours, too, people. Get 20% off free shipping with the code TGDP at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping using that code TGDP at Manscaped.com. Having the right tools for the grooming is essential. Do yourself and your dive buddies a favor and help your buddy upgrade their self-care. And they make great gifts. Don't forget that part, James. Speaking of buddies, Brando, did you when you did your scuba class, you learned how to buddy breathe, didn't you? Yes, we were introduced to the fine art of buddy breathing. And it's more difficult than it than I- just the words. You think it just well, boom. well. That's the thing with it, right? Like, like so much about scuba, it's you talk about it. You, you know, they they sat down, you know, in a in a meeting and discussed <laughs> some things people should learn if they're going to scuba dive. They, they thought them out very logically. Putting them into action in the water is we've realized over the years a little bit more difficult and then translating that into like actual action in the moment is even more difficult yeah yeah i mean it's easy to talk about it and it's easy to you know do things like say i'm going to carry something in my pocket and use it if i need it in an emergency but the reality of it is Pulling it out and actually employing it is a different story. You have to practice that. And the same thing with buddy breathing. It's easy to say, I'll just share the regulator in my mouth. I take a breath, you take a breath. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I take two breaths, you take a breath. I take three or four, you take a breath. Uh, yeah, as we know. Sharing is caring. <laughs> it is. Do you still teach buddy breathing in a dive master class with the uh, dive master candidates? Well, that process is still a required skill, but the thing is, is most people come to that point they've never done it and they've never they've never buddy breathed, so it's generally a uh, good old Charlie Foxtrot, if you know what I mean yeah, who's that? who's Charlie Foxtrot? Is he managing the shop these <laughs> uh, days <laughs> He's a cluster fuck of a dive buddy I had one time yeah, it's always a little little different than the words on the paper and the words out of the mouth of the instructor. Now, back in the early days of diving, they really had, you know, no logic of, you know, what to do. I mean, the, I mean, back then it really was don't run out of air. We got this little J valve. You know, that's that's the solution is everybody runs out of air, so let's put a valve in that when you do run out of air, you can 
switch the valve, and then you have your little bonus gas, and you know that it's time to come up now. Bonus gas. Like that. <laughs> that was that was the fail safe for for so long, right? Yeah. yeah. To the point where they they finally got to the point of realizing, well, that isn't that smart of a choice because it's Thanks. not a really a reliable amount of gas. It's an inconsistent amount of gas, and it can accidentally get tripped mid dive, and then when you pull it, you realize shit. Well, it's already pulled it. I mean, it looks good on paper though, and it checks the box for the uh, the lawyers. So back in like when I learned to dive, you know, and when I was teaching diving, we all, you know, we had five rules originally, you know, you know of, you know, what to do in the event of running low on or out of air. And like you remember, it was, you know, try to make a normal ascent. Right. If you can, like you realize you're getting low, the regulator's getting hard to breathe. You look at the needle is all the way down in the red zone. (laughs) We better go now. And if if that's not an option to you because you completely, you know, suck the regulator dry. Well, then you would try to use an alternate air source if your buddy was close enough. And if your buddy wasn't close enough, they told you you could always make the controlled, you know, don't go fast. You could do a controlled speed, you right. know, ah, uh, sound, uh, uh, controlled emergency swimming ascent. It's the Led Zeppelin ascent, and in other words. The Zeppelin ascent. Yes. And then they gave us, you know, the buddy breathing ascent as an option. Don't forget, everybody, you, you've got this option, too, where, like, two people could share one second stage. And then that's not as bad as the last one, the last resort, which is the, oh, shit, <laughs> Drop your <laughs> drop your weights and rock it to the surface. Definitely singing your favorite Led Zeppelin track all the way to the surface. We come from the land <laughs> of the ice and snow. Exactly. You know, if I look back to my old Patty Open Water Manual from the 1980s, it says... If you're deeper than 40 feet and there's no alternate air source available, you may need to share air by passing one regulator back and forth between you and your buddy. This is called buddy breathing. Although this is more difficult to execute than using an alternate air source, it can be managed if you and your buddy remain calm and are familiar with the procedure. Once you begin buddy breathing, you and your buddy should continue all the way to the surface without attempting to switch to another out-of-air option. You will practice buddy breathing in Module 4. Even though you'll be learning buddy breathing, keep in mind that sharing air with an alternate air source is far more preferable. And, And that's because both divers are able to breathe through the entire ascent. Right. You you have a regulator in both mouths that is working and functioning, supplying gas. But uh, it's a nice skill to have under your belt. It's a nice bit of confidence. Should something go wrong with the alternate air source on your partner and you're out of gas for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now back in the day, and I mean, if I look back to uh, the you know one of the early common open water diver sport diver manuals was the jeppesen manual and they say in there that with good equipment care and dive planning there's little chance you will ever lose your air supply 
but you cannot eliminate the possibility of equipment breakdowns and diver mistakes. Buddy breathing is one method of returning to the surface safely, but it is recommended that you use octopus regulators whenever possible to avoid any problems or confusion that often accompany the need to share air. They say that buddy breathing is the process in which two divers share one air supply. It has been taught for years as an emergency ascent method for any diver who runs out of air or experiences equipment failure. It has been an especially important technique for emergency use whenever obstructions, such as caves, wrecks, heavy kelp, or ice, have come between the diver and the surface. Now here, uh, you know, this ep- you know, this copy that I have is from the 80s, and they're saying that the choice method really is to have a better alternative than just sharing the one regulator. You know, the, the better method is having something to donate where the diver can normally breathe, and that's what the octopus was doing, especially back in these days. This was, you know, when you look back into the mid-70s, it was still, this was a revolutionary concept, really. Right. Right, yeah, I mean, you come from the invention of the regulator with double hose and then the uh, single hose regulator, first stage, second stage, and the SPG, and it was a slow slow process. Well, it was an evolution. So in the Jepson Manual, Randall, they give a really good description of buddy breathing. And again, in the early days when, you know, they didn't really have ways to have redundant regulators, redundant valves, uh, redundant gas supplies. You needed something when all hell broke loose and the shit hit the fan, how we were going to breathe to the surface because they were realizing that just shooting to the surface in an attempt to make it to air without embolizing was pretty unlikely. It was an option, but it's a pretty unlikely one to, you know, when you looked at the numbers, <laughs> the success rate wasn't very good. So well, we needed an alternative. What would you uh, speculate the, the poor success rate? Oh, I'm going to speculate the, uh, the fear and panic in the mind when the, the, the time comes that you have to do it. The, the likelihood that you're going to remember that I need to make that exhalation ah sound the whole way up <laughs> pretty unlikely because the only thing you're probably thinking is just get me to the surface yeah how about uh how often you've done it right yeah yeah how how well are you versed in making a 60 foot per minute ascent rate while you're living on your very last breath of air potentially trying to reduce ambient pressure around your body Exactly. I mean, how many people practice it, especially going through the regular, I mean, the most popular education route, which is take your specialty classes, take your advanced class, take your rescue class. Maybe you become a master scuba diver or whatever the title is they want to give you. But how often is gas sharing practiced past open water class and even in open water class? It's just not practiced often. Yeah, it's uh, it's. No, the, the definitely nowadays, for the most part, and, and for the longest time, and this is kind of where I'm going. Right, right. So the Jeppesen Manual says that buddy breathing begins when the diver who needs air, we're going to call him, Brando, the needer. He's needy. <laughs> notifies the diver who has air. 
the diver who has air, we're going to call him the donor, that he needs help. And once the needer recognizes the problem and gains control, he uses the appropriate hand signals, as shown, to tell his buddy he is out of air and wants to buddy breathe. Since the needer is physically and mentally handicapped from air hunger, the donor must take control. The donor must regulate the breathing and ascent rates. Yeah, good luck with that. Now, this is back in a day when everybody's using a 30-inch, a 30-inch single regulator hose. When I'm reading this one, let alone when they first started doing this, they, they were trying to buddy breathe with double hose. You know, double hoses, you know. There's a trick. You got to be close. <laughs> you got to be close with your buddy. <laughs> you got to be, yes, you definitely wanted your buddy manscaped for that. <laughs> There's probably a few moments, a few... uh Awkward moments in those situations where you're looking in each other's eyes. <laughs> He's saving my life. <laughs> How do I repay him? <laughs> I love you, Frank. <laughs> I've never told anybody this. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right, Gary. Just, just stay calm, Frank. If we make it through this, I want to share my life with you. The buddy team should quickly establish a breathing rhythm with each other taking one or two breaths before passing the regulator back to his buddy. As shown in figure 1-96, the donor should be in front of the needer to maintain eye contact, but far enough to the right of the needer to enable easy exchange of the regulator mouthpiece without bending the regulator hose. The divers should hold each other's equipment straps with their free hands. Now this, I, I remember, you know, we... Uh, we did that. We had left hand holding on to the BCD strap. The donor held on to the regulator at the at the base of the hose. And then the receiver, the needer, would grab on to the 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 donor's wrist. You know, so I'm if I'm donating, I can take a breath in. <gasps> Take a second breath, kind of cue them with my fingers, but I still got enough fingers to hold onto the regulator hose. Pass it, right? They're going to show I'm taking one breath, I'm taking two breaths. Comes back to me, one breath, two breaths. That was the rhythm that we learned, right? And then you carry that on, as they say here, once the buddy team establishes a breathing rhythm, stable position, and neutral or slightly positive buoyancy they should ascend by kicking slowly and exhaling carefully between inhalations. And each diver should try to blow the regulator clear on each exchange, but should be ready to use the purge button if necessary. Yeah, you know, and this was, uh, I mean, this is a complex skill. Well, it takes some coordination. Even for yeah. today, let alone... Teamwork and coordination. It takes a little teamwork and coordination. I, this, this reminds me of a, a little drill we used to do in, uh, back in commercial school when we did our uh, scuba section, which was a couple weeks long. And like the first week was almost nothing but swimming. Swimming and swimming and swimming, not even in gear. But by the end of it, we had worked up to... Uh, this little game called Musical Bottles, which was like musical chairs, okay? So you got a tank with a regulator down at the bottom of the pool, right? Right. This, it's just a scuba bottle and one regulator on the bottle, and that's it. There, You didn't have anything else. It, with, with one second stage, there's not a bunch of shit hanging off of it. 
But anyway, say you have 10 guys, you have nine bottles and you go around and you have to be on a breath hold and you swim around until the instructor signals to go to a regulator. You can breathe from a regulator and then everybody gets to go to a regulator. 10 guys, nine bottles, somebody's got to share. They, they go around. First round is usually pretty easy. It's no big deal. They take a bottle away. You got 10 guys, eight bottles. Okay. And they keep doing it. 10, bo- 10 guys, seven bottles. 10 guys sit. Oh, yeah. So it goes down. This is this is fun stuff. Well, it's good. It was a great training exercise. And we would get down to like seven guys, one bottle. And and then they would just go longer and longer in between the, the signal to go to the bottle. And eventually. Right. Yeah. Until they break everybody yeah, and everybody, everybody runs out. And everybody leaves. Yeah, everybody. Until you're down to, you know, one or two guys. But it was a great exercise in the sense of confidence building and, and the skill building. Yeah, and understanding your resources. Right. And really realizing what it takes to do that buddy breathing and actually how you can live without the gas for minutes. You know, you, you don't need gas every right. second, right? Yeah, it just, just manage and, and managing that problem underwater without, you know, without thinking you immediately need to bolt to the surface. Which was a good thing, you know, for the the whole buddy breathing skill to come about. And then, but the problem is, you know, even back in, you know, the the 70s, there was the issue that continued on for decades of there's no practice post-certification. So people were having issues out in the field, out in the real world. And well, there's lots of cars. Buddy breathing didn't go so good. Buddy breathing didn't go so good. You can just pull out your your card for, say, for example, a zombie diver or a basket weaving or whatever the hell else uh, marketing ploy they came up with. No, that didn't work. Zombies don't even, <laughs> don't even zombies need. don't even need to breathe to live. So what is this class all about? <laughs> I shouldn't make fun of it. It's probably a fun. See, I'm talking about something I don't even know because it's probably a fun little class. Now, in 1976, mm. the centennial. Do you remember it? Were you born? I was born. I was. Uh, I I was rocking in my uh, red, white, and blue diaper. You you haven't changed a lot because you look <laughs> with that damn speedo. I traded, I traded my uh, diaper for a speedo. speedo and- Dude. I'm good to go. Dude, the, the, the more we change, the more we stay the same. Brando, at one, <laughs> at one, at, when I was one year old, <laughs> I knew the look I wanted. I, I've kept it ever since. You probably, your, your mom had drawn all your tattoos on, a big pirate on your chest, and uh, you were you're locked and loaded with that Stars and stars and Stripes uh, diaper, the star-pampered banner. Huggies. I was a Huggies boy back then. You can't eat Huggies. You, you don't want to leak, especially in front of the ladies. so the octopus alternative started to become a serious point of discussion like why why are we only buddy breathing let's look because the octopus started to pop up like remember we talked about sheck was one of the early guys to really bring the the octopus into the mainstream use of cave diving Right, he was one of the early guys to find its necessity. So in 1976, there was an article written by Jim Hall. He says, the beginning of this article was taken from official accident reports 
and the interview with a surviving diver. It is a story of mistakes, mistakes that are repeated too many sad times each year, mistakes that could happen to you at the request of the survivor and to protect the deceased. Some facts have been omitted, but the story and its lesson remain intact. Like most days on which dive accidents occur, this one began with no hint of trouble. Two good friends departed for a day of diving aboard a commercial charter boat. Both were certified and had been diving regularly together in the past. The area was familiar to them, and they had a purpose for going there. A fine seafood dinner for their girlfriends. Gotta throw that in there. Frank and Gary... (laughs) Frank and Gary just going to get some, some dinner for the ladies. Was it really for the ladies, though? Well, <laughs> or they just uh, baggage? We just baggage that they took to dinner with them so they could share a special moment. Um, no, uh, this, uh, <laughs> the girls will be here for this clam bake uh, any minute. Just leave, just leave us to ourselves in this this beautiful beach and. The music's just right. The fire roasting in the background. The stars in the sky. I just happen to have a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of Gary, I got to give a shout out to my next door neighbor, Gary and, and Denise, who, who are not divers, but they listen to our show. I don't want to say fanatically because that paints does, a bad picture. Does Denise uh, lo- know about Frank? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Gary called yesterday and uh, was uh, talking about my tooth, which I assumed he heard from the show because I know they listen to the show. So not to go too far off topic, but hey, thanks, Gary and Denise. Hey, there you go. Shout out to Gary and Denise. And to Frank also. And to Frank. <laughs> Does Denise know <laughs> Tell about Frank? Tell Frank you said hi, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is like two regular dive buddies, like even to today, right? I mean... Two good friends going out on a dive boat, you know, a dive boat, going out to a dive site. We've gone too many times. We enjoy diving. We're going to go do our thing, have another fun dive. We get, uh, we get into our groove. The boat arrived at the dive site by mid-morning. The bottom was a steep slope, interspected with boulders and angled deep down beyond the limits of safe sport diving. Knowing this, that the skipper anchored in a cove about 40 feet deep. Conditions were prime. The air and sea were calm. The water warm and clear. Both divers hastily geared up and were among the first to plunge over the side of the boat. Neither checked the other's gear. Not checking each other's equipment had become a habit with them because they dived together in a very tight buddy team. They had to. One diver relied on a J-valve and his buddy's pressure gauge to monitor his air supply. The J-valve and his buddy's pressure gauge? <laughs> well, one, one guy's got a pressure gauge, one guy's <laughs> just got, got the J-valve. J-valve. Right, That's all I need. You and your fancy <laughs> pressure gauge, Frank. You can't rely on this stuff. Listen, Gary, you, you can't rely on the J-valve. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think old Frank would go down there and uh, pull his old J-valve, if you know what I mean. <laughs> just just to keep him on his toes. Hey, Get your hands listen, off my J-Valve. <laughs> listen, Gary, I got us two sea bass, a couple of abalone. 
this bottle of fine North California Chardonnay. Just bring me that J valve over here. <laughs> Let me pull your J valve for a minute. <laughs> Are you pulling my J valve? I think this joke will uh, completely be missed by, I'd say, 95% of our listeners because they don't. I, I know you get introduced in, in open water. But you, they mentioned the J valve, but I don't think they remember most people. Anyway, a J valve has a little reserve lever on it. Brando, that's why they come to the Great Dive Podcast. Because it is us to remind the people of the history of where we came from. And, you know, right here, I do have in my hands, in this old open water sport diver manual, where uh, they introduce the divers to the non-reserve K-valve, as it's called, is a simple on-off valve like we use today. But the J-valve, or the constant reserve valve, had an extra lever connected to the special spring-loaded reserve mechanism that served as a warning device to prevent the diver from accidentally running out of air. The reserve valve allows air to flow until the pressure inside the tank gets down to about 300 PSI. Then the spring pressure shuts off the airflow. Pulling down on the reserve lever, open the valve manually so that the diver can use that remaining 300 PSI of air for his ascent. Now, as we know, that the spring got weak over time and so wasn't always at 300 PSI. And sometimes the, the, <laughs> sometimes the valve got you know, knocked you know, upon ascent in a weird way and was already tripped or you know, it uh, was never set into the reserve mode you know, to begin with. So there was a lot of inherent issues. So as we were to find out that it wasn't a very good warning device to prevent a diver from running out of air. Hence, we started to have issues like this, right? You know, a better air donation system in the event that it did occur, a better way to monitor your gas rather than just running out of air and then pulling a switch and, you know, zipping up to the surface with the last couple of breaths right i mean it, but it was a, a stepping stone in the evolution of scuba to get us to where we are right now yeah and there's been a lot of a lot of evolution to get us to to the thinking that we have now absolutely absolutely to quote rocky absolutely <laughs> absolutely adrian yo Pauli. A lot of people probably don't even know who these people are, do they? <laughs> Settling slowly to the bottom through wine bottle green water into a school of small blue fish. Gin bottle blue fish. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the divers relaxed and unhurriedly worked their way down the slope into deeper water looking for shellfish. Now, searching for the shellfish, cleverly camouflaged and hard to distinguish from the rubble that lined the slope, occupied most of their attention, and each checked the other only to make sure they were maintaining close buddy contact. At about 80 feet, diver A 
motioned that his regulator was breathing hard. And they mutually agreed to go no deeper and to direct their hunt back up toward the cove and into shallower water. Now, Brando, for the kids nowadays, you know, listening, you know, back in the 1970s, the regulators were, were not the quality that they are today. I mean, in reality, even if you buy a brand new regulator that's probably the cheapest one on the wall, it's probably going to work in all conditions, all depth, all pressure in the bottle, uh, better than one of the top-of-the-line regulators from 1970. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. And the regulators, you know, you know, when they were, you know, acting a little funky, started breathing a little weird, you know, you could go shallower, you know, get a little bit right. of that pressure off some of those really cheap, unbalanced, distant regulators. Balanced, right, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and get it to work a little easier, you know? Yeah, breathe a little easier. You don't easier. need a depth gauge. You just go down to the regulator starts breathing <laughs> hard. <laughs> That's our limit. <laughs> Now, not long after this, Diver A noticed that despite the shallower depth, his regulator still breathed hard. He reached back to activate his reserve lever and recalls being startled to find that it was already down. Diver B. (laughs) God damn it, Gary. (laughs) Gary pulling on my, were you yanking on my J-valve, Gary? Diver B was nearly 40 feet away and looking into a crevice. Diver A worried because his regulator was breathing very hard now and knowing his tank was nearly empty, swam fast to Diver B and signaled that he was out of air. So this is one of those things, you know, you know I remember we would have this discussion and you know, teaching basic open water 101 of, of these options, you know, getting right. everybody ready for the test. Right. Running your options, running low on or out of air. Right. If you can, just, you know, realize you're about to run out of air and make that normal ascent on your own. Right. Right. Signal your buddy, we got to go. I'm almost out of air. Your buddy's right there, you know, because if you do completely run out, he can go to your next one, your next choice, which was, you know, Use that alternate air source. Right. But if you can make it up all the way on your own, try to make it up on your own. If your buddy's close by, use the alternate. If your buddy, you know, there was the discussion. If your buddy's, you know, 40 feet away from you and you're in 30 feet of water, you know, is it smarter to swim over to your buddy 40 feet or do you just, you know, do a controlled ascent to the surface? What's the smarter choice? And here now your buddy's. 40 feet away and not looking at you. He's, his nose is in the crevice. It's not like, you know, he could see you and you signal and he only goes 20 feet and you only go 20 feet and you're breathing again, right? Right. So you know, the these options. are all those discussions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember this. Of course I remember this. You basically had to tell him. You get all kinds of answers, but obviously the answer, the correct answer, would be it's easier to go 30 feet to the surface in a controlled swimming ascent. Than to go 40 40 feet feet to an un... Right, horizontal. Unattentive buddy who's not paying attention to you that you could get, you know, 
34 feet of the 40 foot yeah. of distance, right? right? When he like turns and swims and right. goes swimming off further away to another, you know, another <laughs> deeper crevice. You're yeah, like, yeah. shit! You, don't, uh, you, you could don't... have already, you could have already been to the surface by now, right? So I mean, yeah, these were like fun discussions to have, right? And then you know, and somebody we would, would say, "Well, what if he's 32 feet away and it's 31 feet to the surface? What do I do?" <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Hey, you dumbass. <laughs> Which is where we like ultimately you 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 turn this into the discussion of well, this is what gas management is designed to prevent. This is what we do today is right. We mitigate this by proper gas management and proper team awareness. Now, Diver B's first reaction was to give up his air supply when he saw Diver Ace swimming over to him, signaling that he's out of air. But, Brando, he fumbled for a few seconds because he had unknowingly strapped his regulator to his shoulder beneath his tank harness before leaving the boat. <laughs> Son of a... <laughs> I was going to say, so it's it's trapped in between his, uh, his sh- shoulder strap and, and his body kind of thing, or could be anywhere right. you know you see yeah. it you see it a lot it strapped in well, you see it with all kinds of gear yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah octos that are like wrapped around regulator hoses and shoulder straps and snapped in place with you know you know quick release buckles that are trapping mm-hmm. them in place so that when you yank that octo out and you hardly have any room to donate it right well and then here's here's where someone will say well how about if I, I use my Air McDoodle? <laughs> well, you can use your Air McDoodle. And the, the issue that we're seeing here, yeah. though, even is, you know, the regulator hose, if you have all of it, is difficult to donate. Right. And, <clears throat> and switching to the Air McDoodle does not negate the possibility of having the same issue that, you know, old, old Frank's having right now. <laughs> You know, exactly. Gary needs some air. And he, he, you can still, you know, trap that regulator hose. Right. And you, even you go, well, that's why we use the long hose. But you can still, still uh, I mean, I can't that. tell you how many times people first learning the long hose that have it routed incorrectly and trapped. And, you know, it's they don't go through the pre-dive checks like they should, like, like I'm trying to teach them. And then they go to donate and they've only got six inches of a seven foot hose to donate like what the hell's the point of having seven feet of hose just dive with a six inch hose that's all you can donate anyways what's the you know well, you, you, you got to cool. have this stuff you sorted cool. out before the dive begins absolutely now he says here sharing air which is difficult under most circumstances was now amplified by the shortened hose however these were experienced divers in a comfortable environment, and they quickly settled into a good rhythm of buddy breathing and began to swim to the surface. Now, here's where it goes wonky, Brando. You, know, <laughs> you mean, you mean they, it wasn't going wonky already? But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like, like you said at the beginning, you know, dive accidents occur, and, you know, this was an interview with a surviving diver. He says, at a, as a, at a depth of between 30 and 40 feet, Diver B glanced at his pressure gauge and unstrapped his tank, handing it to Diver A. 
And with one final deep breath, his last, he swam up into the bubbles, attempting a free-swimming emergency ascent. Diver A twice comes close to tears recalling the accident. He deeply regrets causing his buddy's death. He says, everything happened so fast that all I was thinking about at the time was reaching my buddy and getting some air. My head was pounding when I reached him. We couldn't buddy breathe too well while trying to make it to the surface because his regulator was caught under his strap. I remember being worried about embolism and thinking it was taking forever to reach the surface. Then he just handed me his tank, took a deep breath, and pushed away. If he had an octopus rig, he'd still be alive. That's a tough, tough break there for yeah, Gary, old Gary and Frank. I mean, it shows how thinking kind of goes out the window. You know, rational thinking process goes out the window, really. I mean, look at that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to look at. You know, and I get it. Like, like being in the moment, like they're, they're reacting because they don't have a, a, a nice toolbox full of oper- you know, options here of, of what to do. They're very, very limited. A lot of which, you know, stems from, you know, them being two relaxed, comfortable dive buddies doing the same old dive again, going down to grab some abalone. And they don't do the diligence of those pre-dive drills, pre-dive checks, making sure that everything's squared away, gas is where it's supposed to be, donatable resources are, in fact, donatable and usable right and they get into a situation like this where you know the one guy is like god damn it you know frank's been telling me for years to get the pressure gauge this is my fault because i still got this stupid j valve but but then you got you know you know (laughs) frank over there going shit like i'm too low for both of us to make it you know i've got this hose it's my fault because i got my hose all bumble fucked under my shoulder strap and here just take it we're we're not both gonna make it with the amount of gas that i got and they're arguing i can make it on the on, on a oh and they're arguing <laughs> gary it's my fault gary it's my fault i shouldn't have strapped the regulator under the shoulder strap gary it's my fault no no frank frank i'm the one that ran out of gas i'm the schmuck i won't spare the 55 dollars for a gauge I, I'm Your so boy cheap. Tommy wanted that new baseball <laughs> mitt, Gary. You needed the. You don't have money for a pressure gauge. But this is this is a tough tough place for the for the guys back there, right? It's mid seventies. There's arguing going on. There's a lack of understanding of a clear, knowledgeable path to start the dive like you and I teach today. Is well, we get in the water and. We already plan for the Gary and Frank out of air on every single dive. How much gas do I have to keep, you know, from that deep spot where they were in that green wine bottle water when this very thing happens? We need to have that much gas no matter what. Exactly. And that's how you begin the plan of the dive. How much gas will I need to get my partner and I back from the deepest, furthest point of our dive at the end of our planned bottom time so that's how you you start the plan and work backwards because because if you don't have that amount of gas 
what the hell's the point of even having a buddy in the water with you? Yeah. If you don't have enough gas to to share to to get the two of you home. There's no point in it. (laughs) Right. And then if if you have enough gas, but you don't have a way to donate that gas to them so that you can both use it the whole way, again, what's the point of having a donatable alternate air source if you can't rig it in a way that guarantees its use? Right. I mean, you're getting to the the nitty-gritty or the nuts and bolts of the whole system that we use. The thought process, the gear selection, the gear skill practice, and the checks that go in prior to the dive so that everything works together. You go into the dive with Murphy as your dive partner. Like, we are going to run out of gas at the deepest, furthest point on that dive. We're going to run out of gas. So let's be ready. Exactly. And and to get ready for that... It's not just have a buddy in the water with you. Right. And not just have a, a regulator and an extra reg. It's a bunch of things. Right, right. That's where, you know, for for years, you know, we looked at you know, all these different ideas of donatable regulators and, and arguing over what's the best way. Well, you have have an octopus. Well, you need you need to have a longer octopus, a longer one so it's easier to use. <laughs> an even longer longer one and then uh we need to uh we need to make it you know longer and bright neon color oh don't forget that so that it's easy easy to see don't forget that don't forget the color because that never gets fucked up well so even so when we look at that brando like so the point of the needing the bright Bright color Mm -hmm. was so that it was easy to see because divers were still panicking in the situation and going immediately for not the not the donatable one god damn it give me that one in your goddamn mouth frank i need yes right now to breathe (laughs) it's still that you can still have one that's you know flashing neon lights and twirling around in a circle with a big flashy bow tie or something, they're still going to grab the one out of your mouth because they see the gas coming out of it. It's working. When panic hits, it's not search around. And that's the other side of it is if you're using that octo system, you've got to have it attached. Most agencies are going to say, you know, a triangle between your chin and your your left and right rib cage kind of thing. Uh, So it's got to be attached somehow so that, A, it's secure, but be easily detached. That's a paradox right there. Frank, your octo is supposed <laughs> to be attached by your lower rib cage. That's like that's like your gallbladder area. That's it's not even even that's not even near the rib cage. You trying to kill me? You're not supposed to put your your octopus down where you usually kept your J valve. That's not my octopus, Gary. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, I mean, the, the the whole system design, easily detached and yet secure, they work against each other. And you can just go to the training site, go to the quarry, go wherever you're, you're watching new divers train. Watch them trail their octopi in the mud and the rocks and behind them and underneath them. It's just not happening the way it's supposed to happen. Now, the buddy breathing, if we go back, if we come back to buddy breathing, you know, share sharing the one single regulator second stage it's it's like even though the the octopus and all of his all of its advantages you know comes to the forefront of scuba education we still realize for the longest time that well we still need this buddy breathing in our back pocket because people are having situations like this where 
you're fighting for the one regulator that we know is working, right? Because either just out of sheer panic or because I, I can't get the goddamn thing out of of the super or. octo holder I got, <laughs> or yeah, or it's or it's already fallen out. We can't find or it. Doesn't there's, work. There's a, doesn't work, JT. Because oh. I've never used it because. I just clip it onto my little triangle, my little that little ball holder thing, and I clip it in there. And I've I breathed off of it when I bought it, but I've never breathed off of it again. I breathed off of it in open water, one hundred and one in the pool, and and, and during uh, our certification yeah, you dive, pull, you pull uh, you pull that octopus out of that little octo holder ball, and the actual goddamn octopus is <laughs> li- living inside that thing, like along with it, right? And it's just latches onto your lips that's, that's ironic right. like that's how people uh that's how people use that shit right you have that and then the, the other side is people have this uh idea that they should buy you know for the octopus their alternate air source whatever it's a cheaper rag it, it's a crappy rag it goes out too and easy it's not really meant for cold water they want to save some money you get a really nice one because I breathe out of it all the time. But this one I'm going to give in an out of air emergency, fuck him. He can dive this cheap ass one. Me, that might work. It's Gary. Just get him. The, I just give me. The, it's going to be for Gary anyways. Just get him the cheap. Give me the cheapest goddamn <laughs> regulator that you got. That's. I'm going to just donate it to Gary anyways. Uh, but you know, it, 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 it's crazy like how much like that thinking has been the mainstay of scuba sales for decades, decades and even yeah. still you know it, people are so conditioned that the octo is just a basic cheapy little model that you're probably never going to use but you have to have something right which if you take a look at it logically i need a pretty good regulator in an emergency because the person's probably going to be panicking and breathing heavy and i want a regulator that's dependable that holds its settings and breathes very well because the person's going to be a little panicky and the respiration rate increases right i'm with you i mean if there's a ever a time that you really need a good to (laughs) a good regulator it's right now it's right now when the shit is hitting the fan Right. In reality, like you should not be allowed to buy an octo for your own personal regulator. You should be required to have to buy the octo for your buddy because it's gonna be the one that you're gonna have to use anyways. You know, you know your buddy's gonna buy the cheap one. So we should agree. We should agree that I buy your octo, you buy my octo, because that's who's gonna have to yeah. use it anyways. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea either, but uh, my thought would be just make them the exact same second state. You're going to give yourself a good regulator to breathe from, right? One that's easy to breathe, dependable, reliable, tough, robust, all those good things you like. Yeah. I think you should have to have exactly the same one for your partner. Yeah, you want your alternate to be consistent with that. So just have two of the same second stages. And let alone, you know, if you, you know, have little, uh, you know, mechanical issues, you know, on the surface down the road. Yeah. Every, when everything's the same, there's a there's a benefit well, to that yeah. consistency with everything that you have. Well, now we're getting into the nitty gritty of the system we use, which is, you know, there's a uniformity uh, and there's benefits to having that uniformity. And the military knows it. It's why they do it. When you start having a. Uh, Oh, I got a fucking $4,000 regulator because it's got jewels in it and titanium this and space age alloy that and fucking uh, ballistic. Vibrating mouthpiece. <laughs> yeah, it's AI. It's, I got, it's got my AI mas- mouthpiece. A, uh, <laughs> a gum massager built into it. 
yes, this thing will make your bed in the morning. But you don't need that. You just need a dependable, easy breathing regulator that works well. And then you put that in all your gear when you go stages and deco and all the rest of them. You, you have one type of regulator to work on. The parts are interchangeable. Thank you. That's one of the greatest advantages out there. Is like, you know, you get a lot of people that dive cold water. They might go into diving into a set of doubles, you know, and they've got a, but they yeah. still have their old little warm water, their old little warm water regulator that they yeah. use that too. And everything's different because they piecemeal it all together and there's no consistency there. You know, so, and then when you, they get an issue with one of their regulators, you immediately got to go have everything fully serviced. Because you can't just, I mean, that's the beauty of having, I can, you know, my warm water traveling regulators. The same thing as my doubles regulators, other than it's set up for a single tank for down in the keys, you know. But I could pull a second stage off and swap it out with my stuff I'm using at home in a, in a pinch to, to get me by for weeks or months. Right. Same thing with your stage and deco bottles. I mean, if you, yeah, I can mix and match kind of thing because they're the same stuff. So I've always got a, a spare reg with me. You know, I might have to alter the dive plan. But anyway, you get my point. Yeah. And that goes with all the gear. If you really think about it, if you can do that with all the gear, it's, it's so nice to have that ability to mix and match because everybody's got the same shit. Now, the next part about having the same shit. The right gear, <laughs> yeah. and having the same shit, and having the right gas is if everybody's not well practiced and well experienced in using it. Well, now there, there's there's a new variable in there that once again negates the whole having the tool in place, right? Like if you you know pick up a hammer and and you hold it by the claw. And you know, whack a nail with the, with the wooden handle, and you go. This hammer doesn't work. It, it it's not it's not really the problem of the tool that you're using. It's you, you don't know what you're doing yet. <laughs> you're the tool. So just having the tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're the tool, Frank. You never paid attention in class, did you? You never studied. But yeah, yeah. You I mean you bring up a great point, and we. This is part of our little triangle, education, equipment, and experience. So those three things work together to create that diver who's got the proper gear, practiced at it, and, and knows how to use it, when to use it. You're almost invincible then, barring uh, Frank pulling on your J-valve. <laughs> I don't know. Gary seemed pretty happy when, uh, when, Frank, when, when, when Frank was pulling on his J-valve. He seemed pretty happy. Well, how can you not be? But even you, you look at you know so much stuff that you hear people talk about and you see people you know doing even in scuba today, so much of it is all based around just having the right equipment. And even with the way equipment configurations have evolved over the last couple of decades, you can research the perfect system the perfect configuration and if you don't have the time and experience on it that, that you can't make it work in the moment well the, the, even the best stuff in the world is, is useless at that point 
Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen it. We see the, the guys who, who attended YouTube Academy of Diving and went DIR via YouTube. There they are with the seven-foot hose, misrouted or routed underneath their belt, and uh, they really look like kind of a schmuck. They're just as bad as if they didn't have anything, really. I mean, you see it. You see it all the time. Yeah. And then here we have a, a situation where, and, and this is what we're going to get into, and obviously this is going to move into a second episode because we are uh, running out of time. Yes. And, I mean, we're, we're just getting into this article. But when we look at the, what happened here, right, um, 40 feet underwater, the donating diver realizes that he doesn't have enough gas to complete right. the rest of this ascent the routing of the gear is making it way too difficult to continue to the air share so he decides i'm gonna bail on the whole thing even though we like so we realize all right the our go-to for the emergency just failed on us yeah right and then so what, what this article is going to be about is well we need a better alternative but then what we're looking at, what happens over the next couple of years, is even the alternative has got its own inherent flaws. So there's got to be something bigger and better for us to look at in the big picture that's just having the equipment alternative. Yeah. I mean, there's more to diving than just buying the gear. Now, a dive shop, well, a good dive shop would agree with what we're saying, but you don't need to buy the most expensive gear and you don't need to... Uh by the gimmicky shit um you do need to practice and you do need gear that's dependable and and logically thought out a configuration that's logically thought out for the event of an emergency not for you know i can put my uh hammer on a magnet and attach it to my tanks because when i'm underwater i need to hammer something it's it's right there i can just hang it from my belt and let it you know, stupid shit like that that you see, it's like, well, wait a minute. What about an emergency? That, that fucking thing hanging off of you is going to be a, a very bad thing to have in an emergency. Yeah, so just adding the equipment. Or just like the pony bottle, you know. We talk about the pony bottle thing all the time. Sure, so there's yeah. another one that, right, so the pony bottle, the spare air, right, This these ideas came out of people looking at some problems with just using the octopus, right? Well, right. why don't I just have something completely redundant to go to? Good thought, but that's as far as the solution went. It was, okay, here's a little tiny bottle with a built-in regulator on it. Well, how much gas is in it? Where is it? Have you practiced it? Can you practice it prior to every dive and still have something available? Is it practical? Is it really practical? And where are you going to put it? How is it going to be configured so that's usable? And does your teammate know how to do it? I mean, et cetera, et cetera. You start to get into this and you're like, well, it's not really thought out. You're solving a skill problem with a piece of equipment to a certain degree or you're trying to. Absolutely. And I, this goes back to a lot of what we talked about a few months back with the model for so long grew out of this stuff and it just we kept we see plucking ideas 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 whereas we had that discussion back in cave diving month of where well things were different then and cave diving kind of evolved on its own little step head you know step child redheaded step child <laughs> keep it over here kind of way but things are you know in 2023 we're starting to realize a lot of stuff that well 
we can pull some of the thinking out of different worlds rather than just being in that old recreational model based out of Southern California that was keep adding, keep adding, throw something new at it, throw something new at it. it it's time that we have this discussion of let's, let's clear the chalkboard and start, you know, start anew. Rather than going, you know, uh, don't run out of air. Oh, we run out of air. Pull a J valve. Uh, the J valve doesn't work. Let's go. Well, let's let's start all over. We know running out of air is a possibility. With the end, so in we mind. have to. Yeah. yeah, we have to have this much when it happens. Let's just assume it happens, right? So the the, the model's changing, right? And assume it happens at the worst possible moment. If we take Murphy and put him on Murphy's law, it's going to happen at the worst possible moment. So your furthest point from the entry exit, the deepest point, and the longest time that we're going to give yourself underwater. So now let's work backwards. What do I want to have with me to get out of the situation as a team? There you go, everybody. Um, well, hey, let's. we're going to call this one here. No need to sign logbooks, Brando. This dive, pull out your pony bottle. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Hey Gary, uh, let me uh, let me open up let me open up this bottle of wine. Why don't you uh, pull out your pony bottle as we come up from the abyss? Hey, don't forget to go over to theabysscoffeeco.com, everybody, and uh, go order yourself a little bit of the old Davy Jones Locker, or maybe a splash of the Kraken. Uh, use that code TGDP10 to let her know that you uh, heard about the Abyss Coffee Co. from the Great Dive Podcast, and she'll send a 10% over to uh, a nice little charity for a nice little donation. Awesome. I like that idea. Yeah. All right, Brando. Uh, let's uh, let the people go for now. To quote Moses, let my people go. <laughs> we will talk to you next week, everybody. Pharaoh, you must let my people go for now. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Blah, 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 blah.